Welcome back to the Gods of Ghost Volleyball podcast with your host, Scott Bemke. Our podcast today features the third and final part of our interview with Adam Johnson. After listening, do yourself a favor and visit Adam's website, which is www.adamjohnsonvolleyballacademy.com, so you can see all the great things he's been doing since he relocated to the Austin, Texas area and is now paying it forward with his extraordinary knowledge and coaching skills to the next generation of players in the Austin, Texas area. Now, Adam, you won opens on both the left and the right side during your career, which is not an easy thing to do. There's only been a a few uh, other legends who are capable of doing uh, such a thing. Um, tell us what you did to make that difficult transition and, you know, what all goes into it as far as his work and, and the, the main things that are important to, to get taken care of so you can accomplish something like that. Well, well personally, um, uh, you know, when, when it finally did happen, I, you know, I won my first tournament from the, uh, from the right side and then my second tournament from the left side. Um, it was brought to my attention at the time that I was, you know, uh, one of nine people to have ever in in the open era, you know, win a tournament from both sides. And, and to be quite honest with you, I was shocked uh, only because, you know, I, I truly believe, and this kind of goes back to high school, you know, and, and maybe even club. Um, that we were trained to do pretty much everything. You know, you you learn to play defense, you learn to pass, you learn to set, you learn to hit, you learn to block. Um, so for me, um, you know, playing and winning on both sides of the the court, I I I don't look at that as like a huge accomplishment. I, I look at it as standard operating procedure. You know, to be quite honest with you. Now, I've also heard that Karch has never played a tournament on the right side. Uh, do I believe he could win from the right side? Sure, I, I believe he could. He just never has, and that's that's what I've heard. You know, maybe I'm maybe I heard that incorrectly, um, but you know, for me, it, it's kind of one of those things where when you're playing in a tournament, especially uh, in the defensive position like I played. You have to hit from the right side. You have to hit from the left side. So you might as well get, you know, you might as well get good at both. And I, I don't know. I guess I was good at both. I don't know. I was. I don't know that I was better at one side than the other. Um, I think it opened a lot of opportunities for me when I was looking for a partner. I could say, you know, do you play from the left side or do you play from the right side? And if you do, I'll play the other side. It's not a big deal. So I, I looked at that as a huge positive, but I'm surprised that not that many people have accomplished, you know, winning an open tournament from both sides of the court. Was one of the challenging things learning, like you're or getting the trouble shots down and those little things like that, that kind of sometimes can take years or a lot of practice? Well, I mean, to be, to be quite honest with you, I mean, I, I practiced, you know, all those shots from both sides so you know during practice you know again you're you're you know whether you're playing the right side or the left side if you're a defender you're gonna pick up shots from the opposite side that you're playing and you you know you need to be able to convert and transition from that side and you know for me it wasn't it wasn't 
that big of a deal. It, it was kind of like very, very familiar for me uh, to play either side and very comfortable. Um, so I, I don't understand. I, I personally don't understand what the big hoopla is about it, but apparently it's a big hoopla only because not too many people have actually you know, accomplished winning a tournament from both sides. Came second nature to you. Once again, it goes back to that Bill Ashen coaching at Laguna Beach High School. And, and it really does. And, you know, I, I've been talking to some other coaches lately, and, you know, especially, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, when I'm talking about other coaches, more so on the girls' side of things. But, you know, for the last 20, 25 years on the girls' side, it's been very specialized. And unfortunately, I've heard so many girls who might be tall at a, at a young age who really don't grow any taller than 5'11", you know, who've been playing middle for, you know, most of their career, you know, they can't get a scholarship because they've never tried playing outside because they've always been playing middle. Right. And during their during their uh, training, they've never really been able to pass balls or play defense either. And, it, and it's, you know, personally, I think that's sad. And But, but that's kind of how volleyball is especially from the indoor aspect nowadays it's you know it's all about money and 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 you know and and putting people in positions that they believe they're going to be in and that's it and that's all there is to it uh, over your career on the beach you had 44 uh open wins which is pretty impressive if you had to single out your three favorites can you do so? And uh, and even if you have to pick your favorite five, and you you don't want to single it down to your top three, but just some of the five five that were, or three to five that were memorable for you, and and uh, that you really hold dear. Well, uh, I think you know. Of course, my first Open victory. You know, I think that's always that's always something. Which was Santa Barbara, nineteen ninety one, with uh, Pat Powers. Um, you know, you always remember your first one, so you you got to go with that. I think my next one was actually that year as well with Ricky Ludis and the uh, U.S. Championships. Uh, that was a huge accomplishment for uh, Ricky and myself at the time. And uh, I think moving forward from there, you know, I mean, there's there's a few others I'd have to I have to say, of course, the King of the Beach in '94. Uh, you know, being the only other person other than cards to win the tournament at the time um i think one that will always stand out in my mind was the 96 uh jose cuervo final when uh jose and i beat uh, uh tanner and hyger in the final uh 15 to zero <laughs> and, and that's and that's uh you know that is that's a pretty major I mean a lot of people don't understand that you know I mean I think that there's been a couple other finals in some I, you know I, I call of course the Cuervo major tournament um, and and from that standpoint you know uh, Jose and our Jose and I are the only ones to you know win a major tournament 15-0 on the final um I know that uh, Karch, I think, uh, beat somebody 15-0 in, in a normal tournament, maybe in Dallas kind of thing. And it was whoever, uh, it might have been actually, uh, well, I don't know who it was, but uh, I, I think uh, Hyger and, and Tanner lost uh, also 15-0 in a, in a tournament like Dallas or something before, before they uh, got to, to Cuervo, but uh, I mean that's a that's a pretty major accomplishment. I mean, you know, of course, Manhattan, the two Manhattans are great. I mean, that that could be four and five. Um, those those are from what everybody says. If you win a Manhattan, you know, that kind of solidifies you as a as a you know beach volleyball entity, if you will. Uh, so all those put together, I think uh, you know those 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 are probably my five tops. Do you recall the first time you walked the pier and looked at uh, and once they had uh, your plaque up there for um, 
your name with, with with Randy, I think, is when you won your first one, and then you won your second one with Jose. Is that correct? That that is correct. And you know, when I when I walked up here, I I don't I don't think I under I really understood at that time what that really meant. You know, I think that over the years, uh, hearing it over and over and over again, what an accomplishment it is. I mean, I I've recently you know contacted the ABP to try and find out who they had. You know, build the the plaques for the you know for the peers because I'd like to get a couple and be able to make my own trophy, if you will, for those two. Because uh, you know, it's uh, the Manhattan is of course the the Wimbledon of beach volleyball, and and uh, that's that's a pretty big moment. It certainly is. It's got to be pretty neat when you start. Uh... And, uh, you know, you see Brighton O'Hara for the first five years and, um, you know, the Selznicks and Langs and Von Hagens and, and um, Bergmans and uh, Clem and, and Rundle, et cetera, and Gage and Swartz. It's just, oh, and then go on up the line. It's, uh, it's a pretty remarkable uh, place and, and a perfect little thing for all that there. But all I know, if I had kids, I'd be... Uh, as soon as they their eyes opened, I'd have them up there looking at it, age one, two, three, whatever. Yep, there's Dad's name right there. And it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I you know, I, I haven't, uh, I think I was out there a couple of years ago and walked it, and, you know, there's, of course, been a bunch of people who have won since I have, um, but just to see your name up there on that plaque, uh, you know, it's going to be up there forever. Sure will. No, I, I've heard the uh, Cuervo parties, post parties were pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, um, and I heard Hovland could be uh, quite the um, party goer at those events. So, were were they everything that uh, people talk them up to be? Uh, they were. Uh, they definitely were. And, and I think that uh, you know, speaking of the Hov, I think there was one year that everybody's probably aware of where. Uh, you know, he got up on stage and started singing a wild thing and and uh, you know put a big gash in his foot um, and you know decided to sue if you will uh, Jose Cuervo uh, because of it and which I, you know I kind of said whatever I don't get, you know I don't agree with that I mean he was you know under the influence of course up there on the stage and uh you know, kept him out of a few tournaments, but, you know, personally, I think it was his own fault, but uh, it, it was kind of a big deal back in the day, but, uh, you know, Jose Cuervo, they were they were a great sponsor for us and did a lot of great things for volleyball, and, uh, you know, I thank him for it. Now, as a player, you saw and competed against a bunch of great athletes over the years, and um, I'm going to ask you now about some of the uh, the better ones at particular skills of the game. So, let's start out with um, who are the five hardest hitters that uh, when you were when they were teeing off and you were in, on the court trying to dig them that <laughs> you uh, had some stinging arms or couldn't even get in the, uh, your arm on it when they uh, unloaded? Well, uh, you know, of course, I mean, uh, you, you've got Randy Stoklos who's got a heavy arm, uh, Scott Akatubi for sure. I'm trying to think, you know, I, of course I played against Jose, so he's got a, he's got a Ken Steffes, got a great arm. Trying to think if there was anybody else. Uh, Emmanuel Rigo had a, you know, that guy got up. He had some hops, and you know, he was kind of that string bean, if you will. So those are those are probably my top five, I'd say. Conversely, when you uh, were on offense, um, trying to side out, who were some of the uh, defenders and diggers that you played against that uh, could really get to balls and, and dig hard-driven balls? I think you got uh, you know Sinjin of course you got Karch was even in there to a certain extent um, Mike Dodd for sure that guy for some reason that you know as tall as he was I think he was you know six six I mean he was great great defender uh, very frustrating that you can't get a ball down against a big guy of course but uh, I'm trying to 
think if there was who who else was up there. I, I think those are those are probably the ones that uh, you know stick out in my mind. Okay, and finally, as far as uh, blockers go, who are some of the guys that put up the biggest blocks that uh, were tough to negotiate around from time to time? Uh, I, I'd, I'd have to say, uh, you know, Randy Parched the international side, Emmanuel Rigo. I think if there's anybody else over on that uh, international, but uh, you know, on the state side of things, the AVP, I think that's you know Tim Hovland. He, I think you know, he a uh, he was a big block, not not ginormous, but he was very smart. So he was he was able to uh, to read really well, and I think that uh, had to do with his. Uh, indoor indoor game for sure uh finally in your opinion over the course of your career from when you first started out with troy tanner back in uh the late 80s to when you wrap things up um who are the five best players you would say uh you competed against indoor with adam uh well definitely karch um, you know, Sinjin and Randy, of course. Uh, Tim Hovland, Mike Dodd, uh, Emmanuel Rigo. I think that I think that would be my my top five right there. Now, speaking of Karch, you you played with him and won uh, sixteen opens, if my memory serves me right. What was it like playing with him? Is there? Uh... Are there any particular plays or wins or things that you know you guys did on the court that you, I'm sure there were a ton of them, but that like are the first ones that come to mind where you're like, yeah, I played with Karch, and yeah, this one time I saw him do this, or you know, we made this kind of play, or or what have you. Anything resonate from uh, that those those wins for you, Adam? I think that uh, you know when I first started playing with Karch uh, was in '90s. Six or seven, late '96 or seven. I can't remember. Um, of course, of course, Karch would remember. He remembers everything. Um, but uh, when I first started playing with him, he was kind of at you know 70, 75 percent. Uh, he had uh, had surgery on his shoulder when he was, moved. and uh, that was that was the time that Jose decided to dump me and play with. Uh, Kent and when Karch finally came back it was it took us a while to really gel and to get things going but uh, you know our first win together against those guys was in uh, Sacramento I believe in 97 and that was that was huge for us to kind of you know get the monkey off our backs but for me personally to see Karch get so excited and animated about you know beating those guys I mean I was like well <laughs> here's Karch which everybody kind of felt was the computer and he's you know he's getting into it and uh, you know he really showed some emotion and it really I, I didn't know how to react to that I was like well I've never seen that before <laughs> but, but, I, but I was excited to see that and then, and then we won the next weekend in, in Minneapolis and kind of the same thing and so you know those those kind of things with Karch I mean we won three US Opens together as well but you know those those first couple of tournaments where you know he's coming back from, a, from an injury and we're struggling, if you will, and finally getting over the hump. I mean, that was huge for that was huge for him, but it was huge for me also because to see him at that, at, at, at just an out of body experience from what I'm used to, kind of going off and getting so excited about a win like you know Fresno Open. I mean, it was I was like, whoa, okay, here we go. You know, and we ended up going on and winning the next three tournaments. And you know, it was, it was kind of one of those things. It's like maybe you're not winning at the beginning of the season, but it really, it really uh, matters at 
at the end. And that's what everybody remembers, and that's kind of how we were. Once it started to click, you guys were on a roll. Exactly. I watched that Minneapolis Open again the other night. Um, for anyone out there listening to this from 1997 with Adam and, and uh, Karch against Jose and Kent, and it's, you know, former partners going at one another. And it was just like some of the best defense, double digs, um, amazing jump serves, and then guys passing like laid out like towards the sidelines making a good pass getting a good set and transitioning it was just like it was unreal and then yes Karch was getting jacked up <laughs> he was flexing he was screaming it was pretty neat to watch it was that's one of the most exciting volleyball matches I think I've ever witnessed I could watch it over and over so well and, and so can I and you know even talking about it my hairs on my arms start to raise you know because it's you know, I mean, physically, you know, those guys are, I don't want to say far superior to us, but, you know, they're younger, they jump higher, and all the above, but but I think mentally, you know, which I think 90% of this game is mental, you know, that's where Karch and I had the advantage, and it, it kind of proved to us that we're able to, you know, do the things we need to do to win against a team like that. Yeah, what an experience to um, to have played with him like that. I do you keep in touch with him at all? I, I know he's probably you're busy with what you're doing with your volleyball academy in Austin, and I know he's got a chump job as a uh, <laughs> as the coach of the U.S. Women's uh, Olympic team that we're hoping is going to gold medal here next summer. But uh, from time to time, do you guys reach out, text, give each other a call, and hey? I remember when in '97 when we took down Jose and Kent, that kind of thing. Uh, not not those kind of things. It's more of hey, so and so wants your autograph. That okay if uh, you know you send something or hey, congratulations on you know I sent him a text message the other day. Well, I don't know, it was the other day about a month ago when they uh, when his team uh, actually qualified for the Olympics. You know, and I just you know sent a text message say hey congratulations and good luck and you know he said thank you and all that kind of stuff so you know we we don't text uh like you know best friends by any means but uh you know i'd say a couple times during the year there'll be plenty of time for all that when you guys uh are retired retired to reflect back on that stuff you're too busy there you go there you go too many uh uh, of the young next generation to pay it forward to in the meantime. So, um, speaking of the next generation, with the uh, new rules when they made that change in the early 2000s to the short court and rally scoring, Adam, um, what was your thoughts at the time and now? And you know, what did it take away from the game, if anything, in in your viewpoint? Well, it's a loaded think, question it, now, isn't it? <laughs> no, it, it is. It is. And, and, you know, and I don't have a problem saying this. I mean, I, I stopped playing when I was uh, 36 years old um, uh, because of the rule changes. Um, but I also had a an injury to my foot. I had a, uh, a busted up uh, sesamoid bone in my uh, right foot, which was extremely painful. Uh, it's a bone that's about the size of a pea. But it was shattered, and it was, you know, the most painful thing that you've, you've ever come across. I mean, I couldn't sleep at night. You know, even just having a sheet on my on my toe, was, it would just start to throb. Um, so I thought that that was a pretty good time for me um, because I, I, I saw how things were changing with volleyball. I thought it was time, a good time for me to walk away from it. And I never really announced that I was talking. I just kind of didn't say anything and just didn't do anything. And, and you know, vice versa, no one really uh, said anything about it. And uh, you know, but looking at the the, the, the you know the, the, the new rules and whatnot, I mean, at the time, and I don't like to think of myself as some old school guy because there's even older older school guys before me who when we had some rule changes you know didn't like them or whatever but you know I, I think that the 
the rule changes for me really took away a lot of the game that I I had played. Period. You know, and so for example, think, well, the court's you know definitely smaller. It's three feet. You know, basically three feet on the end lines, and uh, you know, foot and a half on the sidelines, and. Uh, for me personally, I, I was having a hard time with my jump serve. You know, when I came back in 2005, I, I unless the wind was blowing 30 miles an hour in my face and we were on the good side, I wasn't jump serving. I didn't really need to. I mean, perfect example would be if I were to go back now, if I were in shape and could play at the level I played, I'd love to have Delhauser as a as a uh, a, 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 a partner because all I would do is I'd stay down and do a little float serve and let the let the team deal with his block you know and, and I could play some defense and you know worst case scenario I dig a ball up and I don't get a great set I'll just bump it back over and let them deal with his block again uh, because the court is you know a lot smaller and so it, it, it's much different and you know, the, I, I think the 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 greatest I don't know if it's the greatest thing that we'll ever see is you know we're always comparing you know the Karch Karais, the Randy Stoglosses, and the Sinjin Smiths to the the Delhausers and and whoever else in this new era, and you really can't compare the two because they're two completely different games. Um, you can talk all night and say, well, how, you know, oh. You know, Delhauser would dominate as well in the old school rules with a big, you know, with a big court and all that kind of stuff. But we don't know. We don't. We don't know, and we will never know. And you know, well, Karch, Karch would dominate. You know, he played on the small court. I mean, and he he won some tournaments. So, it, you know, it, it's kind of one of those those arguments that you're always, you know, everybody loves to have. And you know, they think that you know Delhauser might be the best player ever, but never saw him play on a big court and and things are definitely different so uh, you know those you know those, those kind of things it, it uh, you know it's unfortunate but I mean those, I think that's just how things change and evolve and you just have to move forward with them I'm, I, I, I do not not like the sport now because of the changes I just don't see the same style of play happening than when we played if you will I you know being a smaller uh, player myself I uh, always um, you know you needed as much court as you possibly could have you know for shots and um, you know to be able to run things down and and whatnot and you know now it's more like you're kind of as a hitter you're hitting in a phone booth uh, well and, and I look at it honestly I look at it as the, I mean, I enjoy watching the girls now more so than the guys, only because there seems to be more rallies. It's like the girls' game is like what the guys' game was when we played. You know, they're actually able to play now. When the girls were playing on the big court, and, and nothing against those athletes, but it was pretty boring to watch because it was there was not a lot of rallies going on the balls they couldn't chase the ball down on that big court and that's just that's just purely because men are more physical than women period and it's nothing against the men I, you know I think they, they you know they're doing a great job out there and, and whatnot but you know honestly they just couldn't get certain balls that the guys could but now you know things have changed a smaller court and you're seeing a lot of rallies some great defense I think from the girls that you didn't see when they were playing on the big court so I, I personally enjoy watching it now I've got a couple questions here from the fans you had uh, about as many if not more than anyone uh, there with that you know that awesome haircut of yours that Nike attire <laughs> and uh, the uh, the foot digs, come clean with me. Do you still have a pair of those? And from time to time, just kind of wear them around the house or when you're cutting the lawn or something. I'm gonna ask Jennifer. I'm gonna get the real deal. I do not wear them around the house. I do not wear them when I'm cutting the grass. Um, 
I probably have a few pairs somewhere up in the attic. Uh, I have to go through a few boxes uh, to check them out, but uh, I don't know. I couldn't. If you if you gave me an hour, I could probably find one one pair, but uh, I have no idea where they are. Honestly, um, you know those were. I thought those were a good thing. I think that um, you know, unfortunately, they decided not to go you know forward with them. Uh, I think they could have uh, Nike could have done some things to improve them. Um, you know, because now you have you know like sand socks, which you know are basically the same thing almost. Um, but I, I, honestly, I honestly think that the Fittigs were a better product. They just they just needed to evolve, if you will. And uh, they just they just never uh, apparently didn't take off enough. Well, I know Big George Romain uh, from Pepperdine uh, back in the day. He was wondering <laughs> if you had a pair of uh, size seventeen night night foot digs, preferably yeah. color blue for for Big George. Yeah, Big Old George, that guy that guy was a beast. I mean, I you know I I've never really met I've never met him and, and spoken to him. Uh, personally, uh, you know, I've, you know, we've had our uh, back and forth on uh, on Facebook and whatnot, and, and uh, I'm aware of his game and what he did. And, you know, the time that I saw him was kind of scary, honestly. Um, and that was in 2005 when I came back after uh, not playing uh, from you know 2000 on, and uh, I was watching. Um, uh, his, I think he was playing with uh, Dave Ring at the time. Jason Ring, yeah, yeah. Jason Ring, excuse Team me. Beefcake, and yeah, and 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 something happened. I can't remember the what play happened either. Either George blocked a ball or he just crushed a ball, but he pounded on his chest so hard, like like a silverback gorilla, and just said, and just said prime. I just remember him screaming primal, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, uh, uh, what's going on here, man? These guys are getting bigger and stronger and all the above. So he he was, I mean, he was an animal. He got up. He was strong. Uh, I mean, he had some balls that I've never seen anybody hit before. So he, he was. Uh, uh, I'd like to sit down and chat with him someday. Yeah, well, if you find those foot digs up in the attic, you know, and you got size 17s in blue, you got a good uh, reason to meet it. I don't have the size 17. Uh, we'll have to, we'll we'll have to cut, the, cut the tips off or something like with socks. <laughs> yeah, we'll, find them on, we'll find them on eBay for them. There you go. Uh, another question here from a fan. Who was uh, the best smack talker on tour? I know you didn't let that stuff get to you, but like you, when you'd be listening to them on the other side of the night, you're going, oh boy. This person's got game over there, but well, it was always it was always amusing. I would say to uh, listen to to Hovland, um, you know, just to hear his dialogue with the the referees is pretty funny. Um, he never really tried to get into my head personally, and if he did, it was just more just like a real quick. Oh, you saw that ball in Johnson? What are you talking about? Kind of thing. Uh, but when he would talk to the referees. Or the lines, people. It was, it was, it was pretty classic. And uh, so I'd, I'd, I'd have to give a, a nod to, uh, to to the to the Hav, if you will. And now I did play with Scott Akatubby, who dropped a few f bombs and cost us uh, some points, and you know, moving forward in a tournament kind of thing. But you know, that kind of that's I don't, I don't know if I would call that trash talking. I'd, I'd call that potty mouth. Yeah, I think I remember that. It was at Manhattan or Hermosa. And that would be Hermosa. That would be Hermosa. He got like yeah. the double red card or something like yeah. that, and that forfeited yeah. exactly. the match and his temper yeah, exactly. to him. Yeah, yeah. he needed it. He he probably could have taken a page or, or two out of Coach Ashen's coaching book when it comes to yeah. that kind of stuff. Exactly. Um, which player on tour did you just hate losing to? That's a tough one. Um, I hate losing to everybody, honestly. Uh, there's not one uh, player or players or one team that I hate losing to more than, than anything else. So I think for me personally, it was just 
not wanting to lose. I mean, that's just kind of my my mantra, if you will. And uh, uh, whoever was on the other side of the court, I really didn't like losing to. Um, but if I, if I mean, if I really had to choose somebody, I mean, that's that's I I don't even know. I don't even know who to say. I mean, I could say Sid and Randy because that would be the base, the, base, the basic one, but uh, or Carson Kent because you know that was that was it. But uh, I really didn't look at it that way. I just didn't like losing. You were out there to win. Didn't matter who was on the other side, basically. Pretty much. Pretty much. Now you were considered to be one of the better golfers on tour, from what I've heard from other players that played back in the day. Who else was pretty good with the sticks? And uh, did you have some favorite golf courses on tour that you always looked forward to? Um, you know, I only brought my sticks to to a couple uh, tournaments. Um, I, I really got uh, lucky. Um, I ended up uh, playing my junior year at the USVA Nationals with this uh, team from uh, Texas called the Texas Stars. And this guy, Tim Ryan, who was on the team, ended up um, working at uh, Pebble Beach. And he was in the marketing department. So there were, I think, three or four years, if I'm not mistaken, that, you know, when we played in Santa Cruz, you know, I stayed at the inn at Spanish Bay in, at Pebble Beach. And, uh, you know, we stayed at, you know, we were in a suite that was like right on the 18th green in Spanish Bay. And it might have been a 35, 40 minute drive over to Santa Cruz, but it was <laughs> the prettiest <laughs> drive. And I would, I, I would do that all day long. And, and that was, that was pretty amazing. Um, you know, from that standpoint, you know, so we, and, and of course I got to play either Spanish Bay or Spyglass or, or Pebble Beach at the time. So that was pretty fun. But, uh, you know, I know, uh, Mike Whitmarsh, uh, always liked to play, uh, uh Pat Powers would get out there and play. Um, try to think who else that was on the tour at the time playing, um, uh, kind of, I kind of remember Fitzgerald for some reason uh, in Santa Barbara playing. Uh, Brian Lewis, of course, played, um, and then Mike Dodd. Uh, and I think that's pretty much it. I tried to get, I did get Karch. It was, it was, it was pretty funny. I, I did get Karch to come out to the uh, uh, the USC alumni match uh, golf court. It was golf course. And uh, we had a heyday with him, and he was he was very uh, good about coming out. Uh, I just remember his you know going off the first, he kind of whiffed the, the you know the ball, his tee shot, and everybody was having a good time with him. But uh, he he was a good sport about it, so it's always good to get him out there. The Trojans got to get their shots in at the uh, Bruin that day, huh? Exactly, exactly. Because they got their shots against us more than more than I hate to say. Yeah, yeah, those skates teams, uh, when they, just like uh, you and your first Open in Santa Barbara, when they get to the big leagues, they usually uh, close the deal. They do. They're a pretty solid team. Uh, Steve Verbalovich, Danny Verbalovich's brother, um, I call uh-huh. Steve the volleyball savant because he knows and remembers, like, s- specifics of stuff so incredibly well. It's mind-blowing. He uh, had a good question for you. You you had that. I mean, your jump serve was one of the best, if not the best ever. Um, How did you develop that lower toss jump serve like you had, Adam? I'm curious where that came about. You know, I'm not. I, I mean, honestly, I'm not sure. Um, I think that uh, when I first started playing, I, I was very fortunate to uh, uh, have Spalding as a sponsor. Uh, when I first started playing, I had one ball. And I'd, you know, go down to the beach and I'd be working out. I'd hit a jump serve and I'd have to go chase it. And I can grab it, come back, hit another jump serve, go chase it. So when I got Spalding as a sponsor and, and brought, you know, like 12 balls down, I could hit 12 jump serves, go chase them, and then hit 12 more and, you know, kind of continue to do that. So I think it just kind of evolved that way. Um, I know that for me personally, I know that. 
Uh, I, I was a very efficient player, if you will, and, and tossing a ball a little bit lower um, was more efficient than throwing throwing it up in the air only because when you throw it up in the air, if it's windy, you know, there's more play in the ball, if you will. It might go side to side or might stay up in the air a little bit longer or whatever. There's, there's more room for air. And so I always threw the ball a little bit lower. Um, I felt that once I got into that rhythm, it also uh, created created havoc for the other side because it was a lower toss. It didn't have really a whole lot of time to react to kind of see where the ball was going. It, it was coming at him pretty quickly. So, um, you know, it's just one of those those kind of things that, you know, time and time again, I just go down on the beach and, and, and learn on my own to kind of hit that ball. Well, you learned to hit it pretty damn well. Speaking of hitting balls, you uh, were also a, a heck of a punter in high school, from what I heard, or something at one point. <laughs> you were averaging. I remember I was looking through one of my old volleyball monthlies the other day. Shocker. Um, and uh, I think, didn't you, you were maybe going to get a tryout with the Raiders or something back in the day? Or, I mean, you had yeah. the... You had enough uh, game to you that you were getting a, you know, they were seriously thinking about you. But I never heard how that uh, finished up or, or what. So explain yourself, well, Johnson. Yeah. Um, it, my senior year of high school, I never played football. And my senior year of high school, the coach, the high school football coach, you know, came over to our house and said, hey, I understand your, your son plays soccer. Uh, but I know he's a volleyballer, which I thought was kind of funny. A pan, um, yeah. Mind. And so, uh, but but we need we need a kicker, and so you know he, we we need him to punt, to kick, you know, do you know field goals, kickoffs, and stuff. And he'll be on the other field. He's not going to be getting you know not getting into any context, you know, uh, part of the sport during practices and, and whatnot. And so basically my parents said, okay, we'll let you play. And, you know, I kind of said, hey, I'd like to play. And so they said, okay. So by the first uh, the first game, I was the starting free safety as well as the punter and the kicker. And uh, I was a tight end. They had this uh, play called the Johnson special left or right, you know, depending <laughs> on where they want to side out. And I was like, okay. I was like a tight end, and if it was like, you know, third and 10, third and 12, I'd just go out about, you know, 10 yards or 12 yards in the middle of the field. Guy throw it up there, I'd jump up, catch it, and get, hopefully get the first down. Um, the first time I tried that, uh, not, not ever having played, you know, football, I was very excited about it. And okay, so I went out there, I, there was nobody around me, but I jumped up to go get it, and we got a first down. Uh, the next time I went out there to do that, they were very. They, they, the other team was was ready for it, and whoever, whether it was the linebacker, I guess that you know tackled me, just rung my bell, and didn't quite get the, the you know the first down, and I'm trotting off the field like, okay, you know the punting team's coming on, and the coach is saying, Adam, you got to get out there, you're punting. I'm like, oh. Oh, that's right, you know. So, man, my, my clock was not ticking, you know, 100% at the time. And so, uh, you know, I got kicked. But uh, I had a great time. Uh, I made, you know, first team all CIS uh, in our division, which uh, was pretty huge for me. I think I, my average was 42.7, uh, which was which is pretty solid. I got a scholarship offer to kick up at uh, UC Berkeley. Um, but I decided, of course, to play volleyball. And later, when I, you know, got out on the beach and kind of thought, well, maybe I have a, an opportunity to do this. We look for Ray. We try to get Ray Guy. Oh yeah, and, one you of know, the best and, punters ever. Exactly, and uh, you know, we contact the Raiders, and you know, they couldn't find them, and you know, it just. I mean, I wasn't going to go out there and you know try out and just kind of show up uh, I definitely wanted to work out and really you know go at it if I was going to go at it so uh, I thought why not go go for the best you know to go for, at least try and find the best teacher out there and, and Ray Guy and, uh, unfortunately it didn't work we couldn't find him 
uh, Raiders couldn't find him, so that kind of just kind of fizzled out in a way. It was a little, little more hype than everything, uh, but it would have been fun to try, and I definitely would have tried. All right, well, good. I finally can put that story to bed now and see what happened with it. But I just uh, always was curious how that yeah. ever became of that. Jeez, uh, so over the years that we went and watched you play here at the Milwaukee Open uh, for the AVP, it seemed like every year you had something uh, and, uh, memorable, let's just put it that way, happen. I mean, you won in 91 for the first NBC Live televised event with Ricky, which was awesome. Then uh, and like a year or two later, you stepped on a hypodermic needle, which isn't funny, but uh, you know, that was scary, especially back then when we, with how little we knew. And then not much many, uh, too far after that is when uh, you were playing Leif and Freddie with Randy, I think, and uh, <laughs> the, you, you scored like two points and Gage put the 10th back on the clock. So, you know, tell us about the, you know, the hypodermic and the 10th back on the uh, clock story from your perspective, AJ. Well, well, it was, you know, the, the, the needle was pretty, was pretty interesting. I think we had about 30 seconds. Car, I was playing with cards. can't remember who we were playing against. I think it was a first or second round uh, match. And, uh, you know, we had about 30 seconds left in warm-up, and I went up to hit a jump serve and put my foot down, and this needle was sticking out of my toe, you know? And, and uh, I, I was extremely nervous. I was scared, and, and I didn't know what to do. And so what I did was I, you know, of course, pulled it out and, and went to the, uh, the medical tent, and I kind of, you know, kind of, kind of like a... Uh, uh, a, a, a rattlesnake bite, you know, make a little incision, a little cut, a little X, and, and try and bleed it out, and try and get any any poison or whatever was in the needle out of the system. Now that's the best I could do. And then we just taped it up, and I went and played. And uh, it, it was it was interesting because I, I, I didn't think twice about it really until you know afterwards, Karch cards came up to me and said dude I have no idea how you did that and I go what are you talking about he goes I, I don't know how you went back out there and played after getting a needle stuck in your foot and I said well what am I going to do you know, <laughs> I just you know, you, you, you know there's nothing you can do at the, at the, at the time and, and so you know and, and that was the time that was about the time when I believe Magic, John, Magic Johnson came out and said that he had AIDS you know and, and all this kind of stuff it was out there and it was kind of it was it was scary of course I went back home and, and got tested and everything was fine um, but it, 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 you know, it was scary for a few weeks and we finished out that tournament I can't remember how we finished out but uh, we did um, but the year that I was playing with uh, with Stoklos um, that was before uh, now the scoring two points in one second I mean it, it was uh, it, it was very surreal because you know like everybody said you know I had to hit that serve and they couldn't touch it or you know, if they touched it and got up in the air that's it no matter what and they didn't touch it and there was you know there the clocks weren't set up to show you know tenths of seconds so when it actually hit there was nothing you know there was nothing on the clock in that zero spot the zero had popped up so you know they just you know came to the conclusion that you know there was still time on the clock uh which i think worked of course into our advantage and uh not into freddie and Lafe's. and i think that mentally they you know that took a lot out of them and you know i float serve the next ball uh, picked up freddie's uh, shot the angle and put the ball down and you know, we tied it up, and the next point, point we score in, in overtime, we win. So it, it was uh, it, it was definitely one of those ones. I think the crowd was going crazy. I, I mean, Randy and I were as well. So it was uh, it was definitely one of those memorable. There, I've definitely had a bunch of memorable moments in uh, in Milwaukee, and it's it's always been a good stop for us. 
Speaking of memorable moments, uh, rumor has it that you're conducting a very successful uh, volleyball training academy in uh, the Austin, Texas area. So what can you tell us about that, um, uh, Johnson Volleyball uh, Academy, and how, how you relocated there, and you know what kind of great things you're doing there with that program now, Adam? Well, we, uh, you know, my wife and I uh, moved here. It's been about 13 years now. I think uh, last August was 13 years. And we always knew that, uh, you know, Austin was one of those places where we could live. Uh, we tried to buy back in uh, 1992. Uh, we had a place right on Lake Austin that had 100 feet of frontage. It was two acres. Uh, we signed the deal. You know the contracts slid it over to the other guy and at the time he just said you know what i, I gotta i can't do this right now and and we we were kind of like oh, you know but you know we were like okay that's not a problem we'll, we can always find something else and our, and our thinking was at the time that you know we can live in in austin uh, on the lake you know six months six months and a day out of the year get get to become a, a citizen you know so we can get all the the great benefits you know with you know tax being a tax-free state and whatnot and then uh, the other less than six months of the year uh keep our other house out in california and do all our training out there so uh unfortunately it didn't work at that time we had a kid the next year or in the next two years we started traveling internationally uh so we're busy but we always knew that austin was here so uh, you know, 2006, when we decided to move out here, uh, you know, it, it was just a great move for us. Uh, you know, the, I, I have nothing but good things to say about it. Uh, I was going to start a, uh, an indoor program no matter where I went. Uh, the beach program uh, had, even though I did start the beach program, it wasn't the beach program as we know it now. Uh, where you know it wasn't even a thought of being in college, but uh, I just I just like to do the beach training on the side to make the indoor game better. Um, and a few years later, you know they they started doing it in college for girls, and so it was just an easy transition to you know really uh, get the get the indoor kids or make these kids into beach beach kids uh, and get them scholarships and whatnot and. Uh, Last year, 2018, um, you know, we sent four kids to uh, D1 schools, and they all started their first year. And uh, you know, that was that was a you know number one recruiting class in, in Austin, San Antonio, and in Houston. So you know, the, from the beach side of things, uh, that was that was pretty big. And you know, over the years with the indoor thing, I mean, we've had you know, I guess our big claim to fame is we've had. Uh, one of our girls was the uh, Division Two Player of the Year for two years at uh, at Tarleton University. So uh, it, you know, it's it's one of those things where if you you, you want to get better, you can come to this uh, program and, and uh, we'll show you the tricks of the trade. And you've certainly had some great coaching uh, to build that uh, basis off of. So it's great to see guys like you that had so much success at every level now paying it forward to the next generation so uh well and and i will say that you know i'm, I'm a little bit of a snob from that standpoint right where uh i can't remember in our last part of the interview but uh you know i see some kids days who are professionals or who are not not doing some of the basic stuff that you know I learned and many others like me learned to do at a very young age and it's sad to see that you know those kids nowadays don't don't know the entire game and haven't been coached properly uh, I, I'm not saying everybody but a lot of them and uh, sure you know that, that that's that's kind of the bummer but that's that's the uh, you know that's how our sport is. You know, the, especially on the women's side, has grown. It's grown so dramatically. I just don't think that there's enough good coaches, if you will, out there. You know, and, and uh, just because you didn't play the game doesn't mean you're a good coach. But if you never played the game, then you never know those little nuances of the game to become make those kids, you know, the best players they can be.
Yeah, and those are the things that uh, add up and uh, make the difference in those closes and wins and losses, absolutely. Uh, they do. I, I tell my kids all the time, it's all the little things that we did not do. And it could be six little things uh, that we didn't do, and it could be from six different people. But if we lose 16, you know, 26, 24, you know, if you don't do, I'm not saying that if we do those other things correctly, we're going to win, but at least you have a better chance. But if you don't do them, you're definitely not going to win. That is the truth. That will, um, since the dawn of time. Uh, Outside of uh, the Adam Johnson Volleyball Academy, you mentioned a little bit about being in Austin, Texas, but um, for those who don't know, do you have a family, um, children? Uh, what are your hobbies outside of coaching, and um, you know, what do you like to do for fun? Well, I do have a family. Um, my wife and I, of course, Jennifer. Uh, uh, I've got a daughter who is 23 who will be getting married probably a, a year from now uh, to her fiance Jack uh, my son who is 21 currently he is a senior at Texas Tech uh, so he'll be he'll be on his own hopefully and out of the house uh, next uh, this summer but uh, um, you know we, we Austin's got so much to offer I mean um, I think I've become you know, one of my hobbies is becoming a, a, a barbecue connoisseur. And uh, there are a ton of places out here to, uh, you know, learn and, and, and uh, eat from, if you will, try and figure out what kind of barbecue is the best. Um, I'm still playing a little golf here and there and, uh, you know, staying in shape. I, I, I have um, uh gotten into guns a little bit more on the target side of guns so uh, I, I like to go out and uh, you know shoot for distance and, and that kind of thing it's, uh, it, it's a little more of the Texas thing if you will but uh, those, those are kind of the hobbies that I've uh, kind of picked up since I've been here and for my final question today Adam you you know you won three uh, CIF titles in high school. You made it to, what, three NCAA titles in, in college at USC. You, you didn't win, but, um, you know, just getting there is an accomplishment in itself. Um, and then you, you had all your wins on the beach over the course of your career, uh, which is pretty uh, impressive with those 44. Um, what it, how would you like to be remembered, and, and what are you um, most proud of from... Uh, what you've done uh, in the sport over the years, Adam? Oof, that's a, that's a hard that's a hard one to answer. Um, I thought you were up all night working on that answer. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> um, I, I, I guess I, I, I guess I'd like to just be remembered as uh, you know somebody who you know went after the task at hand. What you know if that was in high school or college or or beach and, and try to become my best. Um, I think I, I might have been, uh, you know, people might have mistaken me in my personality on the beach, more so uh, on the beach than indoors, uh, for some of the things that I did. But, uh, you know, all in all, I was always trying to make the sport better uh, for the athletes. You know, and a, and a perfect example uh, would be, uh, I can come up with a few of them, but one that kind of sticks out was, uh, and I think it was '97 at the World Championships uh, in in uh, Marseille, France, and uh, this German uh, creator of I don't know if it was PlayStation at the time, but it was one of those, you know, it was one of those. Uh, gamers that uh, was was starting a, a volleyball game, and he wanted to use, you know, all the likenesses of all the guys in the in the, in the best teams, you know, in, around the world. And the FIV said, you know, here we're, we're gonna we we need your consent uh, to sign this contract so that they can use your likeness. And I think it was the top sixteen guys in the world or 
you know eight teams or whatever it was uh, and and you get a free game for doing so and, and I was kind of like laughing at that whole thing and going okay these guys are gonna make a game from us about us and they're gonna make a lot of money they're gonna give us the actual game cartridge but we're gonna go have to buy the console to play the game so I kind of said, well, you know, I, I kind of stood up and said, well, how, how about can we can we add a contract that we actually get a console to play in the play the game as well? And you know, the guys at the FIB got a little bit upset with me, but there was I don't know five or six other guys that were you know at, uh, from different countries saying, I'm, I want to do what Adam Adam Johnson represents me. In this in this situation, uh, so I thought that was kind of I thought that was kind of funny, but you know I'm I, I was just trying to to help the sport, you know, if you will. I mean, um, from a perspective of another perfect example was you know uh, Gator we got I got Gatorade as a sponsor. Uh, the tour was sponsored by Powerade at the time, and when you get you know a sponsor like Powerade and Gatorade going at each other that just creates more opportunities for other people now some of the people in the AVP did not agree with that and, and Powerade you know it was it was in our contract to where we can get any sponsor we want except for a malt beverage so you know I had no problem going after Gatorade because you know there's a lot of politics out there and, and the guys in the AVP were handing out these sponsorships to people in their their friends or their you know the South Bay area if you will and uh, so they didn't offer me anything so I went out and got Gatorade and all of a sudden uh, I'm enemy number one to the AVP tour when in actuality I'm just trying to help everybody out there and say hey listen if I get this this sponsor then it just creates more opportunities for everybody else you know in, in the big picture so you know I'd like to be known as someone that was you know really looking out for the players but I think uh, there, there might have been some people in the higher ups of the AVP that were against me and made it out to be that I was the bad guy if you will um, and, and kind of gave the uh, the bad juju if you will and uh, you know that's unfortunate but that's, that's kind of how things are so uh, you know I just went out and did what I believed was best for myself and, and other players and uh, you know move forward from there well uh, you certainly have accomplished a lot and um, and uh, put a lot of smiles on faces over the years I know uh, like I said before that 91 Milwaukee Open event that we witnessed here was the best sporting event I ever attended and keep in mind I live in the state of Wisconsin where you know the Packers play so the fact that you and Ricky hold that distinction should tell you everything <laughs> that you, need, you need to know about um how I uh feel about the sport and and uh that weekend so um I wish you all the best Adam with what you're doing down there in, in Austin in the uh Adam Johnson Volleyball Academy and it Sounds like you've already had some great success and will only continue to do so. And thank you enough for taking the time to speak with me over two evenings for uh, over two hours. I can't believe it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. This is another bucket list uh, event for me to check off. So I can... Uh, no, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a great opportunity. Great. Uh, you know, I thank you, you know, for doing all the hard work that you do uh, with, with all the players. If you will, I think that that's uh, I think that's uh, something to look up to too as well. Thanks, Adam. I really appreciate that. This concludes our three-part interview with Adam Johnson. Thanks for tuning in for it. I'd like to thank Adam Johnson for taking two hours out of his time to do this interview, and I think it's great now to see a player of his caliber, both indoors and on the beach, now paying it forward with the youth in the state of Texas, both at the middle school, high school, and collegiate level. And he's doing some amazing things down there. Finally, I'd like to remind you that we do have a website, which is godstoghost.com. 
in that our podcasts are available on that as well as all the major podcast mediums out there. Thanks again. Take care.